Welcome to Roadcase, the podcast that explores the live music experience. Thanks for joining us. I'm your host, Josh Rosenberg, and I'll be taking you on a journey through in-depth interviews with performers and key people in the industry to explore the magic of live music, how it can be totally transformative for both fans and performers, and we'll look at how they take it all out on the road. It's going to be a great ride, so here we go. Hey, welcome back to Roadcase, everybody. This is your host, Josh Rosenberg. I am just so excited to be here this week for this special episode with Stuart Copeland of The Police. Really glad that he was able to spend some time talking to me uh, about all his amazing adventures and current projects. So glad that you're along for this one. There's a number of different ways that you can get involved with the Roadcase community. Really quick and easy way is to follow us on the socials. We're at RoadcasePod on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. If you'd like to shoot us an email with some questions or just want to say, hey, you can uh, send an email to info at RoadcasePod.com. I'd love to hear from you. You can also learn more information about Roadcase by visiting our newly designed website, RoadcasePod.com. Uh, would really Really psyched to have that new website out there. Uh, another really great way to help support Roadcase is to follow us on your favorite listening platform. Uh, if you're on Spotify, it's as easy as just clicking that box that says follow on Apple Podcasts. There's a check mark up in the upper right-hand corner, just clicking that. On those platforms and other platforms allow you to receive updates when new episodes come into the world. And if you could rate and review Roadcase, really helps out the show and really appreciate those that have done that. On Spotify, underneath that follow box, there's a box with some stars. Just it's as easy as clicking on that and on Apple Podcasts. Just scroll up a little bit from the Roadcase homepage and you'll see a place with some stars and a place to write a review. You know what to do. Thanks in advance to everyone and uh, so glad you're all here for this one. So I've got Stuart Copeland on the show. Stuart is the drummer extraordinaire for The Police, one of the biggest and most influential bands of all time uh, from 1978 to 1983. Just five short years, they produced five amazing classic albums and toured the world. Stuart is quite a dynamic personality, basically a bundle of energy who self-admittedly just likes to bang shit. Stuart's an author, composer of both orchestra and film scores, a multi-Grammy winner, and a Rock and Roll Hall of Fame inductee. He's got several recent projects that are going on. Uh, he is noted for his current derangements of police songs for orchestra, which has been touring around the world. The album is entitled Police Deranged for Orchestra. He just released his po The Police Diaries, which document in stunning detail the early days of the police with diaries and personal journal entries by Stewart and amazing photos and details of the police from the early years, 1976 through 1979. Also out now is a deluxe version of his Clark Kent solo album featuring remastered versions from the album that was originally released in 1980, plus some previously unreleased recordings. Stuart played all the instruments on this album, which has a somewhat notorious and now famous backstory. He has also released a new album entitled Police Beyond Borders, an amazing compilation of police songs for orchestra, having teamed up once again with his longtime collaborator, Ricky Cage. These are stunning versions of police songs with a global flavor featuring artists from South Africa, Japan, Canada, China, 
and the UK and truly speaks to the international reach and the lasting nature of the police's music. I'm so excited to have Stuart on the show for this week, and I'm really, really happy that you're all along to listen to this final episode of An Amazing Year of 2023 for Road Case. Thanks again to you for being here, and I want to send a special thank you to Stuart Copeland of The Police for being here on this episode of Road Case. And here we go. Hey, Stuart, thanks for being on Roadcase, man. Such a pleasure to have you on the show. Pleasure's all mine. I, I was just thinking, look at the notes that I've written down for this interview. Um, thinking of your career is like going into a, going and seeing that, not, I mean, maybe serial killers, not the best analogy, but into that room with all the strings and the pictures and all the yarn being tied from one place to another. You've done so many different things. Um, and trying to tie it all together is just just amazing. You've had absolutely uh, incredible career and had just a massive effect on me as a as a kid growing up in LA as well. So thank you for that. Well, good. Well, I, I'm happy to go with the serial killer um, uh, <laughs> analogy. I figured you might like that. Yeah. <laughs> um, well, let's talk about a couple new things that you're doing. This uh, police deranged for orchestra. Tell me what that what that means to you to be able to um, bring your orchestral experience of composing uh, orchestras for for back, going dating back to decades. What does that What does this all mean for you to be out there and do that and go out and tour the police songs with a with an orchestra? Well, they're two different things. I love playing with orcs because um, they're so. Uh, subtle and gentle and quiet with such huge vocabulary mm. and i've been doing that for years you know th these are yeah. chops that i'm involuntary uh you know an involuntary education in orchestra from my 20 years as a film composer mm -hmm. um <laughs> and when i retired from doing that i still had this love affair with the orchestra and so i was doing shows and then bring in the police songs that people already know, as opposed to my new concerto for Stu Daddy and orchestra or whatever, yeah. uh, you know, songs that people know. And that's a guaranteed, you know, show, you know, familiarity with songs is huge. Right. Um, songs that have emotional baggage history have just much more impact than my latest symphony. Um, and so it's a combination of two very different worlds. Uh, to play those songs without, you know, and all three of us have shared a laugh about this, without those other two sons of bitches uh, is really a joy. You know, Sting is. loves playing those songs without World War Three over his, you know, over his left shoulder. And I love playing those songs with, um, as the boss of everything with a giant orchestra. Yeah, that that sort of conflict of interests, or I don't know if that's, that's the best word for it. You probably have better words for that, that had been kind of a through line throughout your entire career with the police. And then that came, kind of came to the fore when the police came back uh, in, what is that, 2008 timeframe. That, that one discussion you had, and I'm referring to the book, Everyone Stares, which is an amazing uh, recount of, the, of your years. Um, that, one, that one passage where you talked about giving Sting the freedom to just move on and recognizing the differences that all three of you had in musical interests and how that impacted the band was quite, was quite interesting. Well, if you love somebody, set them free. Yeah. And then I was like, well, that was the first song of his solo career. 
here. <laughs> I'm pretty sure he did not write that song about me, but it sure well, fits. Well, you know, like all songwriters say, feel free to interpret my words any way that you want, and everyone will do that. <laughs> um, well, I'm that vain, as Carly <laughs> Simon would have said. <laughs> yeah. yeah, aren't we all? But um, what was, so going back to the orchestra, what was that, that light bulb moment when you were like, let's, let's, why aren't we doing police songs? Let's do that. Well, I did a couple songs that I wrote, which were not the big hits. They were kind of more obscure. Miss Gridenko, Darkness, uh, a couple of uh, those. And they just went over so well, in spite of not being the big hits, they just, you know, management, the business suits, the bosses said, ah, you know, if you really want to rock the joint, um, how about you play the hits? Oh, no, 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 no. I didn't write those. You know, I only play music nowadays. And, but then I remembered that I do have these derangements where I totally screwed them up. I lobotomized the songs for use in my film that I made because uh, I had to cut these songs up as yeah. score. And the result of that was actually kind of cool. I, you know, all these songs, I used the improvisations we did on stage. I took the, the verse from this uh song and put it with the chorus of that song just deranged it all right and i i enjoyed that enough so okay 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 i do want to rock the house so how about we use my derangements my own versions of these songs mm -hmm. and that made it a, a an easier pill to swallow and then i got into the orchestration and man i learned some stuff about these songs that i played so much on the road well, for one thing, what the heck he's singing about? I never paid attention to the lyrics. <laughs> yeah. All I ever saw was the back of his head. I don't know what he's yelling up, shouting about. I don't know. Uh, who cares? But now when I get into these songs and I'm orchestrating them and arranging the vocals for my three singers, you know, three soul sisters on the mic, mm. uh, I realize the depth of the lyric, the beauty of the melodies, and the harmonies, uh, a newfound respect for that SOB, you know. <laughs> well, you're, um, you're coming around to why everyone loves the police. Yeah. Well, well and I will, I will, songs. I will footnote maybe that it with. Just, maybe it isn't just me banging shit. Yeah. I was going to footnote that with you are, your drumming is the reason why I love the police initially. So I will say that. Well, that's what I thought. Until yeah. I started looking at these songs and it turns out, well, okay, all right, I guess you got to give it up. Well, and, it's, you know, it's don't, tell him, don't tell else. him I said this. Don't tell him I said this, but the man is a genius. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You doc, you well documented your love for him along in the, in the books and, and in the movies and, and everything like that. Um, so you talk about other songs like Miss Gradenko, um, and others now there's that dovetailing of the also the re-release of uh, the Clark Kent songs. Um, oh yeah, was that kind of By a the part? Way, I have recordings. I have recordings of Sting singing some of those too. Which oh, when he nice. pisses me off next time, I'm going to pull those suckers out for some blackmail. <laughs> right. Um, so Clark Kent were songs that you'd been working on concurrently with the police kind of starting their journey out in in England in. The late seven in like 78, 77 time frame. Is that correct? That's right. Uh, but the lyrics were too puerile. Um, and even for that, I just couldn't do that to the man. The man has dignity. Yeah. yeah. Right. I, right. I, can't, I, I wouldn't make him sing, you know, I am the neatest thing that ever hit town. <laughs> da, 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 something that rhymes with town. Wait, but you uh, did you once, know. right? But then you made him put masks on. What was the little story with that? Well, the story there was that I actually had a hit. 
the police was dead in the water. We had released Roxanne, sank without a trace, can't stand losing you, yeah. vapor. Yeah. Uh, and then, so I had this song that I recorded and I played all the bass. And I'm still denying it, but I'll share this with you. Don't tell anybody. <laughs> I won't. I won't. Uh, Your secret's safe with me. So. Clark Kent played all the bass, drums, guitar, even tape op, made tea, and sang the damn thing. Now, mm. I don't even sing in the car. I don't sing in the shower. I'm not a singer guy. I don't do singing. I bang <laughs> shit. Uh, and, uh, but I, so I recorded the song, Clark Kent recorded the song, yeah. uh, and her majesty, the BBC radio one, put it on the playlist equals hit. They had spurned Roxanne. It's about a prostitute. Um, right, right, right. and of course we took, we took that to be banned by the BBC. Well, yeah. actually more of a case of being ignored by the BBC, but, <laughs> you know, but they did play, uh, Clark Kent, uh, don't care. And I got on top of the pops. And I'm the, I'm a band guy. I'm not a solo artist. I'm, I'm a band guy. And I didn't want to be standing there as a solo guy. So I wanted a band. So I called up my chuckle buddies and we all put on, cause it was a secret identity thing. Nobody knew who it was for right. about 20 minutes. The London zeitgeist was asking who is Clark Kent? You know, the theories ranged from Debbie Harry to David Bowie to Frank Zappa. <sighs> um, and, um, it didn't last, but when we did top of the pops, it was still officially a secret. And so we all wore masks and, um, and I, you know, uh, I never miss an opportunity to remind my two buddies, uh, about their first time on national TV was in my backing band. Thank you very much. Um, <laughs> great songs, great songs. Well, I mean, amazing drumming parts. I loved listening to it again. It was just, it's, it's spectacular. Well, thank you. It's all, it's, uh, it, there's a heck of a pocket with that band. Absolutely. I mean, man, that yeah, bass right. player, that Those drummer, guys. and that guitarist, and, and you know what? Even more so than the police. There are so few band uh, arguments and you know contentions oh, in man. that band. Boy, you really did a great job in getting along with yourself, Stuart. I really, uh, really, yeah, yeah. Really, I'm looking forward to the. Yeah, I'm really looking forward to the reunion and the movie uh, and the diaries. Yeah, well, the diary, the diary now, well, part of what you did, those, the police diaries, amazing. And geez, Stuart, I, I didn't figure you for a hoarder, but apparently. Yep. I don't throw anything away. <laughs> Clearly, got, I know, don't feel so I've, bad about I've all the shit all. I got in my house now. Oh yeah. Yeah. Well, mine's all in the studio. My wife's uh, aesthetic is one perfect item that sets off the whole room the right door handle how do they do that yeah. man <laughs> yeah and it's beautiful i mean i go into the house and it's absolutely serene and beautiful and elegant and tasteful and everything my all my cool shit is stacked up in the studio <laughs> right right and i right. wade through i'm wading through it even as we talk oh my god um just amazing and I love how, so the Police Diaries is a scrapbook book, essentially, but it's very detailed. It's really a diary, and there are pictures of your diary of what you were doing at the time. Um, and one of the things I appreciate is how involved in, in just management and the aspects of getting yourself from one place to the other and what are you doing. I'm like, this guy never rests. Well, it was a hard slog, that is for sure. Yeah. And yes. While Sting was engaged in dense literature and writing songs, I was on the phone, um, booking shows, doing the, I managed the band, you know, me and my briefcase, um, oh, I, I talked to say you, and your, you and your brother, cause it comes on, you well, come by it too. honestly, your, your brother, I just want to say for the record, your brother, Miles Copeland eventually founded IRS rec, well, founded IRS records. Then I'm speaking of like, we're in 78. Yeah. yeah. Yes. Um, and I had his, his, um, his Rolodex to work with mm. and his sage advice also. Mm. Um, but 
he didn't actually start managing the police until he heard Roxanne. And then he said, okay, <laughs> like, no. I'm taking this to a, I'm taking this to a record company and I'm going to get dollar deal. Now. I'm on board now. I like this one. Yeah. Wow. And, uh, but well, no, I mean, he was, he was friendly and everything like that, but he had other fish to fry. And also he was very conscious of nepotism and all of his other bands and, you know, thinking that Stewart's getting a special deal and more attention. You know, bands are very jealous in that regard yeah. when they have a manager who manages other artists and, Right. You know, throw throw the accusation of nepotism in there, and Miles was very helpful, but studiously kept his distance until finally, when he heard Roxanne, said, "Screw that! This is this is a hit," and he took it to a record company. And the record company only signed a single deal, I think, for two singles or maybe three, mm. um, and it was sort of on one at a time singles, and they disappeared without a trace. And so that was pretty much it for A and M Records until. I got picked up on my, once again, on my own label, Cryptone Records, which is, I just invented, um, <laughs> was me on the phone. But when the BBC picked it up and put it, you know, it was started playing it. Right. I got, I need a real record company because they're going to stop playing it. If I, you know, if I can't supply stores and if I can't actually be a for real record on the marketplace, they'll yeah. drop it. Yeah. So I called up A&M who had just struck out a couple of times with the police and said, I got the, I'm on the playlist at least. And I sent them over the record and they, they, I was over there having a meeting within a couple hours and they had the record in the stores with an A&M label on it by Monday. And so then it was a real thing and I actually did have a hit and it, and it uh, went on from there. And by the way, they said, uh, let's make an album deal with that band too while we're at it. Yeah. Those, those early days were such incredible whirlwind days. And of course you, you, you get that flavor from police diaries. You get that flavor from the, um, from the movie you talked about how it was just like seeing see, seeing the world go by so fast through like a car window, and I you had that metaphor of I could stick my hand out but and and observe the world or my head out, but it would get just ripped off. And yeah, that that you'd reach out to grab the world, but it'd, you'd lose an arm. Exactly. You know? There you it's go. True. Yeah. Well, the the the, the movie uh, is a real first person shooter. Because it's, yes. you know, like an MTV documentary about a band. The camera's here. The band walks by in front of the camera. No, in this case, the camera's in the band. In your hand. And you see the, you see the back of Sting's head on the left of the screen, the back of Andy's head on the right of the screen. And the, the, the fans are shouting right into the camera. When you watch the movie, you are Stuart getting shouted at, not only by the fans, but by Andy as well. Right, uh, right, right. Slow down, <laughs> slow down. <laughs> That's right. Yeah. Too fast. I, I love that. Yeah. Too fast. Yeah. I love that one. I know I have limited time with you, but I really want to get your take and talk about the, what you talked about at the end of the book, uh, the kinetic ritual, bringing humans together, charging them up. Um, and what that special essence of live music is when everybody in the room is focused on this music. It's a magic thing. Well, you know, I try not to allow myself to think of it as magic because it isn't. Every human being has the capacity to make music. Everyone isn't Eric Clapton, and they might not consider themselves musicians, but that's only in comparison with Eric Clapton. Mm. Homo sapiens is a musical animal. We all do it. Therefore, it's not sacred. Just because I've got kind of gifts that make me able to do it, better than other people there's a combination of gifts it's dexterity it's a certain amount of um, autism that'll you know that encourages you to, for the repetitive exercise you know there's a bunch of different gifts that add up to being a musician but all humans are musical 
therefore it's not sacred. And I love it. I get up every day and I deeply engrossed in making music, but I'm a human being and it's just, it's just music. Uh, right. it's not sacred, but the effect that it has creates kind of a, it's very good for religion. I did a documentary for the BBC about what is music and why, hmm. why do we have music? Um, and it's for sex primarily, uh, but also for social, for social, bo- well, it's the only art form that induces body movement of an explicit sexual nature in public. Right. Induces uh, erotic response, if you will. Yeah. <laughs> well, people in public thrusting their pudenda. Uh, it's hard to mistake what that's about. Right. Um, exactly. And so, but it's also good for religion. And believing stuff and bonding. Well, so I think, are you, what you're saying is that it's not music per se and the ability to create it is not the magic because that implies that there's some other force that you have to be of. It's just, it's, yeah, it's, it's just music something that humans like. It's like music, quote unquote, is what's occurring in the room what's or not in the room, what's occurring in the plains of Africa, what's occurring in Beirut, in Cairo, um, when you grew up. It, the magic yeah. is the effect that it has. Would you? What exactly. Would you, right. And people love it. It, it, it inspires the divine in, in church for this BBC thing. I went to churches and found that, you know, God loves music. Um, and it, it brings you in touch with the, with the cosmos and everything. But beautiful. I different from some musicians and I won't mention any names, but there are many musicians, mm-hmm. um, usually lyricists, mm-hmm. um, who do believe that it's sacred, that it's magic, and they scare me. I call them believers who believe, believe that we're on, that we're on, somehow we're a, that on a you're special a magician, plane. That you can, that you've been infused with something from a third party that makes you special. Yeah, that that we have a sacred duty to consider it to be ah bullshit. It's just rock and roll. You know, it's just music. Even my my most intense operatic moments is just music folks. Well, hey, over, you were, you, know? you were banging on the plastic paint drums in times square. I love that chapter out of the film. Oh yeah. Holy With shit. With the foos. <laughs> yeah. Especially the because I'm, like, I'm, I'm on Michigan business. Avenue in Chicago and every bears game, you got the guys banging on the drums out here, making some change. Oh, yeah. And there's you and Taylor Hawkins out in times square doing the thing. And he said, I was so pissed. You ripped your fucking hands apart. Yeah, you were so yeah. pissed well, that you ripped your so hands apart in doing it. Yeah, because you were just like, super... well, we're having too much fun. Yeah, you're like, God damn it, I should have worn my gloves. You don't wear gloves when you're doing that in Times Square, Stuart. Come on. <laughs> no, well, the, the, the real guys don't, but I'm a pussy. Um, and uh, I don't wear gloves for playing shows anymore because I'm playing with the orchestra. Yeah. Which is not a rock and roll show. You know, two songs of rock and roll and I need gloves. Yeah. Because I just, I, I got, I got, you know, I got. Soft skin. I'm very sensitive. I'm not calling into question your your uh, your need to protect the manliness your hands. of my skin. Yeah, <laughs> you have soft hands. I have soft hands and a soft heart. <laughs> yes, you do. Full of love. Oh, so beautiful. But the Homo sapiens idea that you spoke about, um, I think you've talked about it as sort of a bonding social skill with how music has evolved. Um, yes. And well, archaeologists that's... have found. You know, I was in a cave in Germany you know, observing, uh, 30,000 year old, uh, human remains and tools. And there's an instrument that they found a flute, uh, uh, with five holes in it, which, um, made from the femur of a vulture. Uh, and you can play <laughs> Coltrane on that thing. And amongst the also sharing that cave at various times were Neanderthal who had no musical instruments. And the right. archeological theory is that homo sapiens who were smaller 
you know, uh, Neanderthal had bigger brains, bigger teeth, bigger biceps, just definitely more gnarly. Yeah. But Homo sapiens won because there were 20 of us bonded by our social activities, music. Right. And so us, they'd have larger social groups. So us 20 Homo sapiens could kick those three Neanderthal out of the fruit tree. Yeah, exactly. I mean, you're a caveman banging on pots and pans and what what have you with a bone yeah. and a, yeah yeah um and that talks about the internationalism and the collective mind of music and you've also also came out recently as police beyond borders where you take that to the extreme level and produce police songs in an orchestra setting but with international flavor and vocalists from other countries singing uh, police songs in their native language. It's stunning, Stuart. Well, I mean, every breath you take in Zulu, complete with the clicks, <laughs> uh, the house like clicks is that's yeah. something. Yeah. And I, it sends, sends chills up my spine. You know, you know, to, to start at the beginning, I did an album of these orchestral arrangements of police songs, derangements, yeah. um, messed up versions. And then, with my buddy Ricky Cage, with whom I won a couple of Grammys over the last couple of years, yes, he says, "Send me those backing tracks." And he assembled this incredible uh, collection of uh, international stars. You know, the Soweto Gospel Choir, um, Sui Jan in China, with billions of followers and incredible uh, uh, charisma about the way he sings. Every you know, uh, he sings "Tea in the Sahara" in Chinese. Um, <laughs> <laughs> it's it's a, it's a it's, it's a like a fun album. cultural just dizzying array yeah, of connections. That's the one. That's the one I sent Stingo just to just oh, to imagine the, what him did going he say about? It? Did he like it? He was very polite. <laughs> of course, you know. Hold on, one second. There, I saw Sting. It, I saw Sting do that. Come on, state. I think there was a double bill with Sting and Grateful Dead at Giant Stadium in the later years of Grateful Dead. He came on and sang, uh, and Jerry came on on Tia and Sahara. It was amazing. Yeah. 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 But, uh, you know, it's, uh, it's a little different, you know, I was, you know, anyone out there who's got a big brother knows what I'm talking about when they, when I say that, you know, I sent it to him and I'm expecting, you know, like a seven page letter about what his particular things he liked about it and everything. I got a nice, polite brief, <laughs> a man of, <laughs> a man of poignant, but few words is our stingo. What did he say? Very nice, Stuart. Something like that. I mean, it was just very brief, very nice. And we, we, I talked to him yesterday. We get along fine, and uh, yeah, yeah, you he guys tolerates just... my my uh, my my massacre of his beautiful songs. Um, <laughs> well, you guys are just totally and different I, people. By the way, I like... also sent yeah. him a book. Yeah, I yeah. sent him a huge a huge tome, um, which is the the scores, the, the conductor's scores, the orchestral scores, right. which is this giant book. Um, you know, a couple inches thick, and you know, it's giant. It's a real doorstop mm. uh with with all the orchestrations in it yeah and uh you know see big brother i am an actual musician uh he was impressed by that <laughs> well, okay that's an interesting you know you're such an emotional and open funny guy and you know and i and from what little i know about you and you know, it's that interesting dynamic when you sort of want to project your own personality on someone else that's never going to be like that yeah, it took us a long time to figure out that we are absolutely direct opposites. <laughs> yeah, uh, and opposites, and attract, we, man. yeah, I guess, I guess. I mean, in the book, you can see how we struggled for years—you know, almost two years—without um, 
Roxanne, even without any of those great songs. It was just my crap punk songs, right. bass lines with yelling. And we were bonded and we stuck together through thin and thinner until yeah. finally Andy joined and saved us um, by introducing actual music into our thing. <laughs> well, what was that freedom that you guys, that you, um, you reflected upon during the end of the 2008 reunion tour, for lack of a better term, um, that freedom that you expressed became apparent between the three of you when you realized that these were going to be the last shows. It didn't matter anymore. I mean, we're all perfectionists and sting didn't have to, it didn't matter anymore that Stuart's gone off and he's making a too much noise. God damn it. Who cares? The audience is going crazy. We're having a good time. Yeah. Uh, it's not how I would do it on my own, but Hey, we only got two months left of the tour. So let's have fun. So it's that it's sort of when you, you have the means and there's no longer an end, right. like not trying to continue to think like, Oh, well we got to yeah. do this because we have to do that. No, we have to do this. Well, there was a bubble good at this. There was a bubble that had to be popped, which is that, as uh, you can imagine, everyone around the band, there is no one around the band who thinks it's a good idea for us not to continue and make another record. Right. Um, and, but I know that Sting was just not, songs were not coming into his mind. I just know he was struggling with that, and that was causing a problem for him. That was causing tension. That was causing him to feel put upon and because nobody's hassling Andy and me. Oh, guys, you should do it. You know, no, they're hassling Sting. Um, and so the day that I told him, dude, don't worry about it. We're not recording an album. It's over. Our last date is whatever it is. Uh, Madison Square Garden. And it's over. I love you, man. It's yeah. going to be great. Yeah. As well, soon as that pressure was lifted then we could enjoy the experience that begs the question of the, of even to going back earlier to the eight spectacular, whatever, six, seven, eight years of the police, um, of the, the original years that, that churn and you reflect that churn was clearly reflected in, in the movie, everyone stares, um, of being on tour recording while you're on tour recording videos. Cause I was always like, why the fuck is the do 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 da da da, da in the snow? Well, it's because you guys were on tour somewhere. And That's just where doing we were. Fucking video, and yeah. and the real one in the in the in the the cable car in the gondola or whatever the hell that was. I mean, um, yeah, because yeah, it was just you were doing videos while you were on the road, while you were touring the prior album, while you were creating the new album. Um, was there ever a notion that maybe we can get off of that? roller coaster at some point i mean this band still do that what's your view on um like how would you have re-engineered that or would you would you have or can you even is no, it just I would the momentum not. and the I inertia think, that just is unstoppable i don't think we can claim credit for um engineering it so perfectly but it ended up so perfectly that we broke up having never seen the other side of the parabola. Mm, uh, yeah, every yeah. album was bigger than the previous one. Every right. tour was bigger than the previous one. Right. We never saw the inevitable beginnings of diminishment. We every never got album to was fucking amazing. Yeah. And so we're very glad that it turned out that way. And then it turned out we were very glad 30 years later that we hadn't cheapened it by doing stupid stuff or anything like that. So when we came back out 30 years later, it was pristine. When we pulled it back off the shelf, it was absolutely unbesmirched. And we had a, you know, a heck of a tour, two years of, of police, um, around the world. 
and then we quit once again on a really good note. And so actually it's all been kind of perfect. Yeah. Well, you have to accept what happened in the past always, even with, with one's life as simple things as the micro view of one's life. I mean, things happen for a reason and that's why they happen. Yeah. I mean, this happens. To be that, like, there, there, there's, there's a Yogi Berra aphorism for you. <laughs> Josh Rosenberg, but yeah, I get you. I got oh, really? You. Uh, things happen for a reason and that's why they happen. That like <laughs> Yogi. Yeah, exactly. Yoga now also, speaking of staying, and I don't know if you're a yoga practitioner. How do you keep in shape these days? You're in such great shape. I bang shit. Yeah. That does it for you? It does. Um, and uh, there's a series out there called The Blue Zones which at my age I'm very interested in, about uh, concentrations around the world of centenarians. Mm. And um, there's a few things that they all have in common, such as a good social group, uh, diet, and so on. But one of the things is not going to the gym twice a week, but just walking, doing the gardening, washing dishes by hand, um, not being activity. A not, being not, not being a couch potato. Yeah, yeah. So the drumming isn't pumping iron. Well, it used to be in rock and roll, but now when I'm playing with the orcs, it's much more uh, civilized. Yeah. But it's still good aerobics. Um, you know, I, I think that's, you know, I have a son who's a spitting image of me. He's like Stuart 2.0, <laughs> but he sits in front of a computer all day. And that's what I would look like if if I wasn't playing drums in a band. Right, right. Well, it's doing what comes natural, but then I was reading in the book, you bent over to zip up your suitcase sometime in 2008 and you were, Oh God. And, yeah. and I'm like, okay, so my, and, and okay, to finish <laughs> the story, you completely locked up and like had to have pain cortisone shots and blah, blah, blah. And you finally got better, but that's what can happen as well. Do you, you do you go to a chiropractor currently? Yes, I do. Which, which, you know, my doctor completely disapproves. But whenever I have a back problem, chiropractor seems to be the one to fix it. Even if, if it's voodoo, it might be. If placebo could be, it works Good. for me. Good. I wanted to tell you one thing that I heard um, when I was watching the Let There Be Drums documentary that Justin Kreutzman had done. Yeah, um, I, which I've still got to see, by the way. Oh, it's fantastic. You got to see it. It's so cool. And you're in it a couple times. You have some quotes in it. But really funny. Jason Bonham, um, John Bonham's son, he said, you know, and you'll, you'll appreciate this. He says, you know, with a famous dad, like he's just the dad. And I didn't give a shit really that much about Zeppelin. I was unimpressed by what my dad was doing. He goes, but he did say to his dad, dad, if you want to impress me, take me to see the police. Uh, what do you know? He was like 11 and or 12 I, at the time or whatever it was. Well, bless his heart. But Bonham did say nice things. Um, and um, I deeply, deeply honored. Yeah, yeah. Um, I just wanted to tell you, I was at the US Festival. That was amazing. And he spent quite a deal he, talking about it. Um, who did? Jason? You did. You did. did. I'm just going back to the book and, and, and the, mo oh, right. the movie. Yes, there yes. were some great clips from the US Festival. Was that, was that as special as it seemed at the time? Yes. Um, it was a venue that was created just for that show. Yeah. They built an off-ramp on the freeway just for that show. <laughs> I and that. Uh, it was, it was uh, like San Dimas or something. I grew up in LA. It was like yeah. way out there. I don't know. I don't remember how I got there or how I got home. Allegedly 250,000 people. Yeah, I came. I was there on that one Friday. I wasn't you guys, you guys headlined. It was Talking Heads, B-52s. Yeah. 
Um, B-52s kicked ass. They had the yes. prime spot. They, they, they came on just as the sun was going down. The lights came on. They were just, that was one of the best shows I've ever seen. Nice. I rem- I kind of remember it. Uh, the English Beat, of course. Well, I think they called themselves the yeah, Beat they were at good. that point. And I think who opened that day was Gang of Four. That's right. Yeah. We, uh, all those bands were friends of ours. We toured all over with all of them playing festivals and stuff. And, you know, that's the way it is. And it's, it's, it's still like that today that, you know, Bonnaroo and Coachella and stuff, all the bands hang out and bond backstage. Yeah. yeah. Um, and it's a, it's a, that's, that's the fun thing about festivals. The only f- not fun thing about festivals is headlining because all day you're stone cold sober one by one the bands go play their show they come off stage they hit the back say yahoo and they're rock and rolling and celebrating <laughs> but the headliner is still stone cold sober did you have and, to learn uh, that finally, did you have to learn that lesson yeah and finally okay we play our show okay now we can party <laughs> right and you no, know, no you one can hear the sage, but no, everyone's gone. <laughs> Hashtag the party pin is drop. over. Yeah. Um, all right. Well, I know that I, I want to respect our time commitments. I don't know how much time you can spend with me. Uh, yeah, I've got another call coming up. Okay. Okay, cool. Well, Stuart, thanks so much for being with me. This was really, really meant, means a lot to me. And you have, uh, and you, and it's just, you've got so many amazing things that are going on currently. And you're what? Uh, you're, are you like 80 yet? Or no, I'm kidding. You're 70 something. I'm 70 something. Yeah. My 71, 71. I'm in my, I'm in my 71 or two. Something like um, that. You start forgetting my I, dude. My 60th birthday is coming up in December, uh, in December. Well, then you're going to be a grown up. Then I'm going to, Oh, Oh, yeah. that's okay. That's good. Perspective. Then you can, then you can drink, drive and vote. <laughs> exactly. What country are we talking about? Now? <laughs> but, but too old for the draft. Yes. Fortunately, that's a good, yeah. good place to be. Yeah, I don't know yeah. about you, but I'm finding every decade that goes by gets better and better. Well, I mean, I'm ha- I had a great decade in my 50s. I started this podcast late, and this is kind of the beginning of my life, brother. So let's do it. All right. Rock on, man. Yeah. Thanks for listening. Thanks so much. Oh, you're more than welcome, Stuart. Thanks for everything you've given to music and that you continue to give in this amazing world that we live in. Thanks so much, Stuart, for what you do and for being on Roadcase. All right. Take care, man. Cheers, brother. Okay, that was me talking to Stuart Copeland of The Police. That was fun. And um, for those of you that are familiar with Roadcase, you'll know that was a little bit briefer of an interview or more brief, uh, more brief of an interview than I usually conduct here on Roadcase. But I'm like super happy to have spoken to Stuart and hope to get him back on the show to talk a little bit more at length at some point. But um uh, wow. That was just, uh, you know, we covered a lot of ground, you know, his thoughts on the nature of music kind of, I really loved talking to him about that sort of, we, you know, it goes back Neanderthal period to the origins of Homo sapien. And I would also add that, uh, his mom was an archeologist and, uh, Stewart has a unique global view of music. You know, he was born in the United States, but lived in a grew up, lived in uh, Beirut and Cairo growing up. Uh, his dad was the CIA. So uh, internationalism is in Stewart's DNA. I'm really glad we got to talk a little bit about the major personality clashes that occurred uh, with Sting, uh, not so much with Andy Summers we talked about, but he did mention Sting in particular a number of times uh, that occurred when the band was together. And uh, these clashes kind of 
they even continued during their reunion tour of 2007, 2008. But at the end of the day, Stewart, as you can hear, has a huge respect for his former bandmates. I mean, those guys truly did create magic. Um, and his work as a composer is truly extraordinary. Um, I would love to talk to him more at length about that. And his list of post-police accomplishments is massive. Of course, we talked about his current work, Police Deranged for Orchestra, as well as Police Beyond Borders. But those are only in addition to tons of film scores, TV scores, um, going all the way back to uh, 1980 for scoring 1984's Rumblefish that was directed by Francis Ford. Coppola. The list is too long to mention here, but it is truly massive. And we didn't even touch upon uh, Oysterhead, the supergroup he founded with Trey Anastasio of Fish and Les Claypool of Primus. They produced one album entitled The Grand Pecking Order back in 2001. Even with all the success and accolades and awards, Stewart's just a really fun hang and a cool dude with a great sense of humor that I totally resonated with. And we connected on a bunch of different subjects, which was super cool. Uh, if you want to do a little bit more of a deeper dive uh, into the police, I would highly recommend uh, the documentary from 2006, Everyone Stares uh, the Police Inside and Out. I referred to it a number of different times in this interview. It's a first-person documentary shot entirely by by Stewart on Super 8 film, incredibly informative and behind the scenes look at the police uh, early and uh, even through their height of their early massive popularity. Also make sure to check out The Police Diaries, which is an incredibly detailed account of those early days. And uh, I would highly recommend also Stewart's book, Strange Things Happen, A Life with Police, with the Police, Polo, and Pygmies. And yes, he is or slash was a polo player. So really happy to have been able to speak to Stewart and share this interview with all of you out there on this final episode of 2023 of Roadcase. Thanks so much for your support and for being here along the way. This has been an incredible year for Roadcase. Thanks again to all of you for being here. And I want to send a very special shout out and sincere thank you to Stuart Copeland for being here on this episode of Roadcase. Thanks again so much for listening. And I'd like to encourage everyone to get involved with Roadcase. You can do so in a number of different ways. You can email me at info at roadcasepod.com with questions, comments, and even suggestions for guests. Or you can follow us on the socials, Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. We're at Roadcase Pod. And we have a YouTube channel called Roadcase Podcast. And of course, you can subscribe to this podcast on your favorite listening platform. And if you could please rate and review the podcast while you're there, that would be great. So I want to thank Waltzer for this awesome theme music that we have. And I want to thank all of you for tuning in and listening to Roadcase. We have a lot of great episodes coming up, so I'll see you on down the road. <laughs>